0: In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Ben Ornstein about the benefits of pair programming and how to do it effectively. This is Full Stack Radio episode 94. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, as always, and it's my pleasure to be welcoming back to the show my friend, Ben Orenstein. How's it going, Ben? Good, dude. How are you? I'm great. So I decided to have you back on the show because for a long time now, like over a year, I've wanted to do an episode on pair programming. And uh, it seemed like maybe you would be a good person uh, to talk to about it, considering what you're working on these days. And uh, I know you have a lot of experience with uh, pairing from back in the ThoughtBot days, too. So I thought uh, maybe we could have a good conversation about it.
1: Yeah, I think we can. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this.
0: Awesome. So um, what's the best way to start this? Maybe let's talk a little bit about what pair programming even is. So how do you define pair programming?
1: So I think there's a little bit of wiggle room in that term. There are a number of things that I would consider pairing. But when I, typic- when I do it, uh, to me, it's pairing when you have two programmers on the same machine. Um, and one of like probably ideally two keyboards, but I think it's, it's the, the core of it is two minds working on one problem.
0: Yeah. So when did you first get introduced to pair programming?
1: You know, pair programming actually for real changed the course of my career. So I had a really, my first, uh, software job was like really crappy. Um, like the, the stuff of legend legends, bad, <laughs> uh, level. And, uh, I was teaching myself Ruby on the side and Rails. Uh, and I was like so into that and so not into what I was doing at the day job. And finally, after uh, months of that, I found a pl- a place that was advertising a position for a junior developer. And uh, they... I was like, just, I had like just enough Ruby chops to like basically kind of fake my way through the interview. I had never even deployed an app before I had worked through like a book or two, but like super, super green, but they saw some potential in me and I was dying to get out of my current gig and work in Ruby. So they made me an offer and I went and joined this little team. Uh, It was just three of us. And I spent probably the first, maybe six months pairing almost full time with my boss at the time who was an experienced Rubyist and uh, a guy who knew Vim pretty well. And I, that was really the birth of me as an actual programmer was like slowly kind of copying bits of, of that person's brain uh, into mine.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think for me, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true or not, but I feel like we talked about pair programming when I was in college um, because we definitely did a little bit of pairing on projects uh, and it wasn't like super formal, like we can talk maybe a little bit, uh, later on about some of the more formal pair programming structures or approaches that, that are out there. Um, mm-hmm. but I definitely remember working on projects with people in uh, college where two of us would be sitting at one computer, uh, working on something. And a lot of the time mm-hmm. that just felt like the natural way to solve a problem in like the the most efficient way Uh, and then the first programming job i got i did a lot of real pairing like on the job too and that was by far like my favorite way to work um so what do you think some of the benefits of pair programming are
1: i think there's not really a faster way to improve as a programmer than to pair with someone stronger than you I have a, a post on my blog just how to improve as a programmer and that's that to me is the number, that's my first recommendation like if if at all possible pair with people that know more than you do and it makes a lot of sense like this is not a new idea we call it pair programming but this is really kind of the apprenticeship model mm-hmm. where someone that knows what they're doing takes on someone that doesn't so much and they work very close together and pairing is kind of the epitome of that in, in the programming world and there's just it's so information rich like it's i learned so many things that weren't even just how to like write ruby or this what this rails method uh, was called but how do you write a good commit message and how do you use the shell and how big should your commits be and when do we take breaks and just all these things are wrapped up in pairing and you just get this really rich uh, information stream of how to do this thing well yeah there's
0: just a lot that you can learn from the other person that you would never learn if you didn't actually have the opportunity to watch their fingers hitting the keyboard and see how they manipulate text on the screen or uh, what sort of questions they're asking themselves when they're trying to name a method or name a mm-hmm. variable or that sort of thing.
1: Or, or as they like when they get stuck, what do they do? Mm. What are their stra- strategies for getting unstuck and dealing with difficult problems? And I, I think there's there's this I don't know if I call it a trend, but it's. It's very possible to gain some programming skill from reading the code of other people. I think that's also a good uh, activity and a useful exercise and you, you can definitely learn things from that. But that's a little bit to me like learning how to paint by looking at a finished painting as opposed to watching someone really good do the painting. And when you're watching that, you're seeing how their brushstrokes are and, like, the places they messed up and covered up and Mm -hmm. how they covered that up and how do they mix the paint and, you know, what time of day were they working and how often do they step back and get, you know, a bigger picture of the canvas and all these things that, you know, looking at that final snapshot is useful but just not nearly as rich.
0: Yeah. So um, what we've kind of been talking about up to now is, is kind of the benefits of pair programming from the perspective of someone who sort of wants to learn from someone maybe more experienced than them. And I don't think that necessarily applies to everything that we've kind of talked about there. I think there's lots you can pick up from someone who's less experienced than you, but maybe just knows something about their editor that you don't know about their editor. Um, but can you totally. think of any advantages to pairing, even when, um, it's not just about, you know, one person trying to sort of absorb the knowledge of a more experienced person?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I think you get a ton of value from pairing with whether the person that you're pairing with is str- like stronger, equal or weaker than you are in terms of knowledge because when you're the the more experienced person you often have to explain in very clear terms why you think you should do something and I can't count the number of times it's happened that I've been like oh we should use this and someone will go why and I'll go uh... and and then that's a nice opportunity for me to be like you know I'm not sure I think I'm just kind of uh, on autopilot with that decision. Why don't we look into this a little bit and just, you know, let's let's dig into it together. And then we both have a chance to, to improve our learning. Like I, I got a, a, a blind spot pointed out to me, which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, so it's it kind of doesn't matter what you're... And then if you're, you know, even if you're... Let's say you have exactly the same amount of programming knowledge as the person you're pairing with. There's still things like, edit like you said, editor commands or shell tricks or whatnot. Like I just, I learn something every time I pair, regardless of who I'm pairing with or what language or what I'm doing. It's just, it's it's uncanny.
0: Yeah. I think one of the biggest benefits of pairing uh, for me based on just maybe my personality and the way that I work is I think like a lot of programmers like everyone's kind of affected by imposter syndrome in some way shape or form, right? And not necessarily confident about every decision that they're going to make. And um f- for me, I find that I can work a lot faster when I'm pairing because if I'm trying to decide between two ways of doing things not that i Mm. necessarily need someone to make a decision for me but a lot of time all i need to do is just kind of say like what do you think about doing this this way out loud and just getting that reassurance from somebody else who i respect as a programmer saying yeah i think that's a good way to go can just get me over that hurdle where i might have been paralyzed by a decision at some point Mm -hmm. when i'm working on something have you ever experienced
1: that Oh, yeah, for sure. I I think it's a lot harder to get blocked when there are two of you there, especially because there's like often like one of you is navigating or or like don't have your hands on the keyboard. And so there's someone saying, you know, we haven't really made progress on this in a little while. Like, are we stuck? Is there something we can do instead or someone we should go talk to or uh, take a different tack? Yeah. Um, And so it's it's harder to get blocked. But also, I think it, it keeps you on. There's a couple other like productivity things where. I think it keeps you on task too totally like it's very like it's it's easy for me to act like accidentally open twitter i, I don't even think about it it's just like all of a sudden twitter is open and it's just this like tick i have that's like oh i'm i have one free second let me go do this thing and compulsively check it and when someone's sitting right next to you you're like oh well that i'm just not going to do that and there's like a little interrupt there
0: yeah it's funny i actually find i get some of the benefits that i get from pairing from doing live streams for the yeah. same sort of reason because i sort of have no choice but to focus on what i'm doing and try and make progress because you know if i'm doing a live stream or something and uh even if i'm stuck on a problem or i'm trying to decide between two ways of doing something because like it's meant to be like this live stream i'm just going to pick one of those ways and just go with it which not that the pairing is quite the same in that regard like it's nice because you can actually make a decision based on somebody else's sort of suggestion uh but I, i just find it interesting that uh you know you get some of those those same pressures of just mm-hmm. you have yeah. another pair of eyeballs and another you're sort of accountable to yes either an audience or another person that you're working with and it can uh, yep. help you stay on task
1: yeah And i find it's easier to start too because sometimes i'll get overwhelmed at the like what i'm about to go do and so i'll, I'll put it off for a while mm-hmm. but like if you've scheduled a live stream or scheduled some pairing it's like well we said we're going to start pairing at 10 so let's let's go yeah take a deep breath and get get over that hump
0: yeah for sure So I would say for for me, another one of the huge benefits of pair programming is how it uh, impacts the traditional code review process. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on pair programming and code reviews?
1: Um, so I think there are reasonable positions to take on this, uh, a variety of reasonable positions, um, Sometimes I will pair program on something with someone and then skip an explicit review step mm-hmm. uh, particularly if if like it's a I'm on a small team and there's only a couple of us or 3 of us uh, I might just say hey we paired on this so let's just this is this is good to go we've kind of had like a full time live pair review as we went um I also think it's still reasonable to ask for a review on something that you paired on that's also uh seems reasonable to me
0: yeah I think in my experience pair programming most of the time removes the need for a code review in the sense Mm -hmm. that I agree with you. Like if you want another pair of eyes or something, like you work on something with someone and you're pretty happy with what you came up with, but you know there's someone else on the team who maybe has more experience with that problem area of the project or whatever. And they were working on something else and you just want to be like, Hey, like does this jive with like how you were thinking about solving this? I could definitely Mm -hmm. be good, but I find typically like if you, pair on something with someone you don't really need to review in the same way that you do if you do something by yourself and i also find that this the work that you put out is still better than it would have been had you done a code review on something totally that you worked on by yourself in a lot of ways
1: that to me is one really nice thing about pairing is that your pair has been there the whole time and so they have the full context of why decisions were made and like things that were tried and discarded and they're just they're just up to speed they have all that context Whereas when you drop a PR on someone, it's tough to bring them up to speed. Often you can put on, you know, you can write a really good PR description and you should, but it's still like, it's hard to come into something cold and like make good observations or suggestions.
0: Yeah. I find like with any code review sort of process, there's a whole slew of decisions that are hard to review after the fact in a diff. Because uh, you don't hmm. see duplication with other parts of the code base in a diff, for example. So if there's yep, for sure. another way that you could have solved the problem by, you know, polymorphically implementing a new class that already does something else, but you've now duplicated that work, you'll never see that in in the diff. Another thing that I think sucks is um, in a traditional code review process, you're typically limited to semi-superficial code. Uh, critique for the most part like you might be like why don't we extract a method here or maybe we can remove this conditional by doing this but most of the time it's about like mechanical changes to the code and not necessarily about reviewing the solution to the problem like a lot of time you can review a solution to a problem but even then if someone spent four hours on a pr that they put together it can be sort of crappy to be like i think you should have done this in a completely different way and had i been sitting next to you during the first 30 seconds that we were working on this feature we would have implemented it uh, in this other way because i would have mentioned it and you would be like "Duh, that is the the better way to go about it so it's almost like by pairing you always get like the best idea out of the two people's approaches you know what i mean mm-hmm. so totally
1: yeah yeah and i have uh, so i think it seems pretty clear to me i mean based only on anecdata but i have a strong conviction that the code that i write as part of a pair is better the quality is higher and part of it is that there's two minds at work and so it's the it's the max of both our best ideas yeah which is awesome it's also there is a little bit of that inherent uh, peer pressure kind of thing or like review like constant review i guess you could call it yeah where i'm like i don't want to i'm not going to do the ugly thing yeah yeah, with, yeah. My, with someone else sitting right next to me it's like yeah we'll start with the ugly thing but like, i'm going to fix it up before we we submit this because like uh, you're, you're with me you're watching like, you're not going to cut We're,
0: corners really like you're not going to skip writing this test or you know yeah whatever exactly
1: yep and it's it's that's that's like a nice thing is there's someone there being like should we write a test for this or like shouldn't we maybe pull out this duplication or something and it's it's nice to have that um yeah there's a great quote and i can't remember where i got this from i might have seen it from derek Pryor from thoughtbot i can't remember where it originates i just might not know it's some twitter thing but someone asks but if our programmers are pairing all the time won't they only write half as much code and the person says hopefully they'll write even less than that <laughs> yeah that's good
0: yeah that actually brings me to like another point uh, or another topic that i think would be worth getting into uh which is that so far we've basically just espoused you know the benefits of pairing which i think we both agree that at no point will one person write code that is going to be better than that person working with someone else to write that same code unless they're just com- very difficult personalities who don't get along for whatever reason um yep but, and gen- but generally yeah, that's okay. and-
1: difficult might even be the right word like some people are not going to be a good fit for pairing and that's okay i think we should be like we should be cool with that
0: yep totally
1: yeah Yeah, Yeah. so
0: um but if we can all agree say that like the code produced by person a plus person b is always going to be at least as good or better as just the code produced by person a um, yeah what are the arguments for for not doing it all the time and and some of those arguments might not be valid so i think it'd be worth talking about why or why they aren't valid too
1: yeah well i guess some of the arguments like i think the naive argument is just that you assume that more programmers making more code equals good Mm. like more stuff gets done like more features get shipped and and velocity is up overall and i feel like that's true in the small but not true in the large where like maybe in the beginning of a project or over short periods of time more code generally is good let's say or like is probably good Every line of code, I've started thinking of code as both an asset and a liability to equal degrees. So, like our app is um, 10,000 lines. It's like, okay, well, you have 10,000 lines of asset and 10,000 lines of liability, and they're they're both substantial. So, hopefully, that 10,000 lines of asset is generating you lots and lots of money because it, you also have 10,000 lines of liability. Um, so i think that that argument is I, it's a reasonable argument to make if you don't quite understand how development works i guess like if you're if you're an outsider and you have normal perceptions and you don't don't have experience with this it would be a reasonable reasonable position to take but i don't think it holds that much water um i recently uh, worked at a company that had a code base that was over a million lines it was like 1.3 million lines and it's like that is like a boat anchor like, how do you make a change in an app that big and be confident you haven't broken something? Like, what kind of test suite do you need to have confidence that that many lines works to deploy it, to store it, to version it? all the like a million things? Just it's it, as it gets bigger, it's it just code is generally worse.
0: Yeah, definitely. So that comes down to sort of uh, looking at things from the perspective of that one's that one's interesting, right? Because it's not just about like people producing more code or more people producing more code a lot of that just comes down to like how many problems do you want this piece of software to solve and the fewer problems you can make it solve the easier it's going to be to make it good at solving those problems and the easier it's going to be uh, to make it maintainable but if you Mm -hmm. if you know for sure that like okay there's 20 features that have to get implemented Mm -hmm. and they have to get built no matter what wouldn't it be better for all six developers on our team to each be working on one of those problems uh than to only be able to work on three of those problems at a time
1: yeah i mean that would definitely be the case if features didn't interact with each other and quality of each feature didn't really matter but like as you add each new thing as you add a thing the new things that you want to add get more complicated and it's possible to write even a small amount of code in such a way that adding even small things to it is really really hard mm-hmm. and so hopefully pairing or other techniques just code quality in general uh hopefully lets you uh, avoid some of that that trap. Yeah. and so yeah
0: totally so i would come at that as well and also say that i just don't agree that six people working on separate problems can solve those six problems faster than Pairs of people working on half the that many problems at a time.
1: The, yeah, that that's the thing. If it were just if if it were a typing pool and all you had to do was like transcribe something, um, then yeah, it, have them work in parallel uh, and not in and not in pairs. But programming is hard, and edge like thinking of edge cases is hard, and remembering all the little details is hard, and so. The, the quality part is the hard part and having two brains makes it just uh, more reliably good, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think like the two of the concrete examples I can think of where that speeds you up are things that we've touched on a little bit already. But, you know, one is just like you're not going to get stuck as much. You're not going to thrash on a problem for two hours just because you didn't think of some other slightly different solution that maybe your pair would have suggested mm-hmm. right away. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to make decisions faster, I think, when there are multiple um, kind of paths to take on solving a problem. And then mm-hmm. the other one is um, the whole code review element, right? So if you feel like you don't actually need to do code review before merging something, which I think is typically the case with pairing, because in my experience, if two people can agree that this is the a good solution to this problem, then everyone will agree. You know what I mean? Like you mm. almost only need one other person to agree with you hmm. for it to be a good enough solution. And then the other mm-hmm. element of the code review thing is like, if you don't have to do code review, you don't have to wait for code review. You don't have to put some, open up a PR uh, yeah. wait for someone else on the team to get around to it. And hopefully they're actually feeling motivated to even be thorough or, you know what I mean? Because their brain might be tired from working on like their own problems. And now they have to come mm. and f- make sure that they understand your problem and how it should have been solved um, after the fact, after they've already kind of used all that mental energy on something else. Like it seems like if someone else is going to have to understand your problem and review it thoroughly anyways, why not just Mm. do that upfront? You know what I mean? Like if that work has to get done anyways, or you're just admitting that like your code reviews suck and are basically not worth doing (laughs) because Mm, they're not good. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So if I had to describe Cloudinary myself, it's basically just the best way to store and serve images that I've ever seen. In the past, I used to use generic storage services like Amazon S3 to store and serve images, uh, but after switching to Cloudinary, I genuinely cannot believe I ever did this stuff any other way. Uh, so here's one example of how Cloudinary has made my life easier. Uh, so you probably know that typically images are the heaviest resource your users have to download when they visit your site right usually way more than your JavaScript or CSS. So in the past I would spend a lot of time tweaking settings and tools like image alpha and image optim to try and optimize my image files so they weren't as large. Uh, With Cloudinary I can just upload the full resolution file without even really thinking about it and then by just adding a parameter to the image URL that I get back uh, when I go to serve it on my site Cloudinary will automatically optimize that image as best as it can usually resulting in file sizes that are are actually lower than what I was seeing when trying to optimize the images by hand. Uh, this is even more useful for like user uploaded images because instead of trying to do some fancy automatic image optimization in a background job on my own server or something, I can just send those images directly to Cloudinary from the browser, uh, request the optimized version back by adding that URL parameter, and bam, I've got an optimized image at a really small file size. Uh, so there's an enormous amount of other cool stuff that you can do through the URL-based API. That's really just scratching the surface but you can do stuff like request images at different sizes. So you can serve smaller images on mobile devices. So you're not wasting bandwidth. Uh, You can crop images to different dimensions. You can crop images using face detection. So just crop to the faces in an image. Uh, You can automatically add watermarks or text overlays or tons of different effects and stuff like that. It's a seriously impressive service. So Cloudinary has an amazing free plan where you can store 300,000 images and videos. Yeah. Did I mention you can do all this crazy stuff, not just with images, but also with the videos too. Uh, you get 10 gigabytes of storage and 20 gigabytes of monthly bandwidth on this free plan. Uh, so if you're not already using them, definitely head over to cloudinary.com and check it out. It really is one of my absolute favorite services that I use on my own projects. Thanks a ton to Cloudinary for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. Can you think of any other, um, any other reasons someone might say pair programming isn't worth it?
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's not all roses. I, I think to me, the biggest downside I can think about is that it's hard socially. Yeah. Um, it, like, so schedule flexibility suffers if you're trying to sync up and pair with somebody, right? It's like, I want to start at this time. You want to start at th- Like, you like to get in early. I like to leave early. Uh, that can be tricky. Uh, it's also like personalities come into play in a big way when you're pairing in, in a way they don't, I think, if you were, were operating more independently. Like if you have to sit next to a person or or like at least even just pair with them remotely, but you know in live in real time, it's tricky. Like it's it's easy for someone to be having a bad day or to just not be to not communicate well or to be condescending. There's there's a lot of social demands on it or that it it imposes, and maybe developers on average are not the best bunch to to like be up to those social demands. Mm. Uh, So it's there's that's that's it's tricky and and also just overall like programming or sorry pairing is hard. Like it's a, it's a skill to itself. So if you dive into it and try it, like at first, you're actually not going to be very good at pairing. It's not like you just take two programmers that are experienced and they start pairing and they're also good at pairing. It's definitely distinct, like learning how to communicate well with somebody and how to drive well, how to navigate well, when like, it's just, there's just a lot of subtle human interaction at play, uh, that take a while to get good at.
0: Yeah. So I think on that note, maybe th- that would be a good, uh, kind of segue into talking a little bit about like different types of pair programming structures and how people do it and uh, any advice that you can think of for doing it well, especially if you haven't done it before. So um, you mentioned the terms driver and uh, navigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. do you want to maybe talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about those kind of roles and pair programming and that sort of like traditional pair programming format?
1: Mm hmm. Uh, sure. Sure. So this is usually the way I like to pair, which is we have a driver and we have a navigator. So the driver's hands are on the keyboard most of the time. And they're the person controlling the editor, the terminal, all that. They're principally responsible for the keystrokes and the mouse uh, making things appear on the screen. The navigator is in the opposite role. They are mostly not typing. Uh, They are thinking about uh, where you are and where you want to go. And... um, helping the driver get unstuck when the driver's stuck, discussing possible solutions uh, and trying to think of a sort of bigger picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, that I, I think is typically how people end up working because of course you can only really have one person typing into a program at a time. Although if you look at some of the collaboration stuff that is out there now with like Adam and VS code, you can actually have like two people typing in the same file at the same time which I don't know that I necessarily yeah. understand the <laughs> the motivation behind uh, wanting to be able to do that, uh, but uh, something Same. that I actually heard about the other day, uh, a term that I hadn't heard before that's related to this sort of driver-navigator structure, I think it'll be interesting to talk about, is the idea of strong pairing. Have you ever heard the phrase strong pairing before? I don't think so. So... Um, I heard about this on uh, the vehicle podcast, which is a company that I used to work for like an agency and they went to this uh, agile conference and and they were kind of learning about some more of this stuff. And basically the idea from what I understand is it's the same sort of thing as like driver navigator, but the roles are very clearly defined and everything is quite rigid in its structure in the, in that the driver isn't responsible for solving any of the problems. Like the driver is literally just the interface to the computer and the navigator hmm. is actually writing the code but writing it through hmm. the other person Interesting. And so so much to the point where if the driver has an idea they are supposed to pass the keyboard off to the other person like they're supposed to be like oh you know what I have an idea take the keyboard for a sec and like huh. dictate it through them which I thought was kind of yeah. interesting and I've never tried anything I have never tried pairing the, in, in such a rigid or formal way so I'd be curious on uh, how does that
1: strike you <laughs> I mean, I haven't done it. My first, my intuition around it is it sounds kind of weird. It sounds like a little gimmicky. Um, I like when I'm the navigator and I have an idea, it's often really nice and easy to be able to just grab my own keyboard and be like, this is what I'm thinking and sketch out a thing and then let the driver fill in the details. Yeah. Um, So, so, so flipping that script, like I guess, so I'm trying to think of why it might be nice. It might be nice because it forces you to describe approaches at a high level and to think to keep your thinking at a fairly high level of abstraction mm-hmm. because I, you wouldn't certainly want to tell your driver now type f x yep. a space curly it, you're probably saying let's uh, iterate over that collection and return the length of each one yeah uh so maybe but but that's how i navigate anyway so i'm not really sure i don't know i'm, I'm not quite getting it yeah but i, I think haven't tried it so yeah
0: i don't know it'd be interesting to try i think one of the benefits is um what I would expect one of the benefits to be would be again, just like helping people stay focused on the problem. Like I think I've definitely been in situations pairing in the past where the navigator checks something on their phone or something and maybe gets a little bit distracted because they're not necessarily principally responsible for the code getting written. Um, So I think that that is kind of interesting, but I think it's something that I would have to try to know for sure. I worried that there could be like some frustration in the other, in the driver, not understanding what you want them to do sometimes. Hmm. And, And I don't mean that in like a condescending way. I just kind of think of it as like, if the whole point is to have like two people thinking about the problem and having different ideas and being able to pick the best one and the person currently typing doesn't have that idea because it's coming from the other person, it might not be immediately obvious to them how they're supposed to make this idea that this person has in an abstract way, concrete, Um, Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's not their idea and they're not sure. So I I could see maybe that's a pro in some ways. Maybe it forces you to learn to communicate about about code better. But it it sounds a little bit uh, unnecessarily rigid to me.
1: I'm still skeptical because to me, some of the bad times I've programmed paired uh, pair programmed have been when I'm driving, but I don't really get what's going on. And mm. someone is effectively like using me as their code entry tool, but I have no clue what's happening. I'm not following the thread at all. And those sessions have always been pretty terrible to me. Interesting. That's when I don't like pairing at all. So it sounds like this is encouraging that. <laughs> and and this doesn't sound great. So
0: so uh, um so on that note, up, in general, like what sort of tips and tricks do you have around uh, sort of the mechanics of of pairing and how people uh, communicate? What what advice do you have yeah. to do it well?
1: Sure. So l- let me roll back just a little bit on the timeline and say that I think a lot of people are convinced of the value of pair programming or at least intrigued enough uh, to try, but they don't know how to start. Mm-hmm. And like a number of things, it has pairing I think has a bit of an intimidating feel to it, particularly if you're a new person pairing with a more experienced person. And so my advice to, it, to get started on it is to start small, like think like short sessions, like maybe half an hour. And I often find it helps to kind of not trick isn't the right word but uh minimize what you're about to do so like let's say i'm an experienced person and i am like trying to train up a junior developer and i want them to pair with me on something um saying uh to them hey let's pair on this they're like oh god here we go we're gonna pair on this but sometimes if you just phrase it like hey can you look at this with me yeah it has this like collaborative kind of feel like we're not pairing i'm just you're just looking at this with me and i might ask you some questions i'm like oh lo and behold you're actually navigating as we work together So I I like, I like, you know, time box it if that makes it seem less intimidating or, you know, don't even call it pairing, just call it a collaboration session or something, or maybe even get more people together. Like if you're worried about that intense one-on-one interaction, do like some mob pairing. So like put your, throw a screen up on a a projector somewhere and then have like three or four people sitting there and everyone can kind of toss out ideas and and, and comment and whatnot and pass around the keyword a little bit.
0: Yeah. I've actually always been interested in trying out, uh, some mob programming on some real stuff. I've done like um, some user groups in the past where we've had like sort of mobish meetups where maybe someone comes in mm-hmm. with a problem and we kind of work on it. Uh, but even with small groups, like say six people, I found there to be a tendency for certain people to just kind of dominate it. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's just from like a personality perspective. Some people are quieter. Some people are more, you know, uh, louder so they'll kind of just yep. like to take over which i don't think really happens in in pairing as much um mm. but yeah, yeah I, I don't that. know it's it's interesting i, I think mm-hmm. um sorry go ahead
1: well so so you asked for tips overall and i, I yeah. kind of rewound a little bit but then i can i can go to some more specific yeah, uh, tactics if that's helpful all right so driver i think of the two well it's hard to say which one's easier but driver my my advice is fairly limited i would say um, when you're driving and actually writing the code, I think the biggest thing I would recommend is to go a little bit slower than you can if you're very fast. Uh, because it's easy as the driver to, because you're controlling everything, like you know where the next thing is going to pop up on the, the screen. And if you have like a fast workflow, like I, I do TDD. And so for me, I'm like I'm like running, I'm hitting two keys and then like the whole screen disappears and my test appears and I look at the error and I read it and then I hit enter and then I go back to the code and like I'm flipping between like different views of, of things a lot. Uh, and I'm, I'm fairly fast with Vim, so it's it's easy for me personally to kind of like lose my navigator at times mm-hmm. even people that are experienced it's just like you as the driver you know what's happening next and, and what keystroke you just hit like what does it yeah. do you know what that kind and of so, reminds
0: me of which is kind of funny that the words are similar is um hmm. As a passenger in a car, I get car sick often if I hmm. start trying to read a book or read something on my phone or something because my body isn't like anticipating what's going to be happening to it based on my interactions totally. with the steering wheel and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's a perfect analogy there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a nervous passenger. I don't like when other people are driving. <laughs> most people. Yeah. So, I definitely
0: yeah. prefer to drive too.
1: Yeah. But so, so, yeah. So now, so driving mostly just go slow and and maybe think out loud like if, if you get stuck at a place don't just like get stuck but talk like collaborate uh use your words don't just think of like my only job is to write code and and not make sure my navigator knows where we are too
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah um, on, on the navigator side did, did you want to do it no
0: go go for it yeah.
1: okay on the navigator side i think my biggest piece of advice is to lean on questions so i think questions are a really nice technique there where it's like um <laughs> great question is should we take a break like how are you doing Breaks are uh, underrated, especially in pairing. It's like such an intense mental exercise and social exercise. So like taking frequent breaks, even more frequently than you would if it were just you cranking yep. in the zone, I think is really, really good. Um, asking questions like, hey, should we do this? Like, do we have to do this? Can we do something easier? Can we just punt this whole thing? Um, can we, if we have to do this, can we do it later? Like is now the best time to do it? That I think is one of my best like judo moves in programming is... I'm pretty relentless about being like, do we have to do this? Can we do something? Easy? Like, can we just do the simple thing instead? And I'm, I'm like, that's, I think one of my, my superpowers is that like, I'm good at taking re- supposed requirements or things that we have to do and like shrinking them and making them yeah, easier. Just making them go away just by, even. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's like a lot of times like you, you think it's, this thing is like, you know, a nine out of 10 in terms of, in terms of complexity. But if, if you just kind of keep asking like, well, what if we just simplified it in this way? And it's not quite what you asked for, but it's close. And it's like, oh, we, now it's a three. Yeah, uh, it's a it's it's a useful skill, I think. Yeah, but you, that's your. I think that sh- should be your general job as a navigator: those bigger questions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's less about like, I mean, name like naming is good. Like, what should we call this this class or this variable? That that's good stuff too, the low level stuff. But the real value, I think, shows up in when like someone is thinking the whole time, like, what's next? Should we do this? When should we do this?
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned uh, taking breaks. Um, do you have you have you ever played with like timed break? periods like in the past when i've paired we did like pomodoro stuff where you would work for 25 minutes and take a five minute break and that was just kind of how it went you know even if like you were right in the middle of a problem or something it's like we stick to the the schedule uh Mm -hmm. how's that worked out for you when you've used that
1: approach i uh so i like Pomodoros, but i like them for a different reason okay I, i i use a pomodoro for myself to get me going because it feels unintimidating it's like i'm gonna work until this thing goes off and then i get a break and what i find happens is like i get 20 minutes in and i don't want to break like i <laughs> then i start rolling and i'm in the zone and the problem no longer feels intimidating yep. it starts to feel solvable and so i turn off the timer so i use i use pomodoros a lot when i'm alone just to get going um and like if if a problem is particularly intimidating or, or thorny i will even i'll set a shorter timer I'd be like, I'm going to work on this for literally five minutes. And then I, then I can stop for a half an hour if I want to. Yeah. But then, of course, you know, five minutes in, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to yeah. do a little bit more. I, I use them less uh, in pairing situations, but I, it's probably a good idea. Um, they'll make it's a, it's a bummer to interrupt the flow, but it's also a bummer to get totally drained by pairing yeah. together all day without enough time off. So if you, you pair, pair for
0: like even two and a half hours without a break, my experience is that it feels like you got oh, run over yeah. by a bus.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, I'd say, I would say two and a half hours is, is a long pairing session. Yeah. Um, that's that's a lot. I mean, like to me, an hour is probably, a, with someone that you know and you have a good rapport with, I think an hour like would be on kind of a nice length and maybe even just kind of high. It's hard to say. When I'm doing deeper work, but I still want to do pom- Pomodoros, I'll, I'll sometimes do 50 on 10 off. Okay. And yeah, I find that's that to good. be enough time to make real progress and then also have a real break.
0: Yeah, I like that. So you, you're talking about an hour being like a good time for pairing which i think gets us into a topic that i hadn't really planned to talk about really but now that i think about it is a good one to talk about which is just like how does pairing fit into how you structure your work and and how you do stuff during the day so you mentioned that when you started that job when you were early in your programming career that you paired almost full time but now you're saying like Mm pairing for an hour is maybe like a
1: good a good way to do it. So, yeah. what is kind of like That's your pair,
0: your pairing scheduling philosophy?
1: I guess it's shifted over time because I did find that really long pairings like stretches very valuable in the beginning days. Uh, now they sound like too much. Although I wonder if it's that kind of thing where like once I actually sat down and did it, like a couple hours would go by fast because you would kind of get in the zone. Um, so I'm not sure. I guess my philosophy is probably that you should figure out what works well for you. Mm. Uh, people have very different uh, break needs and focus ability and. Uh, like times of day that they feel productive. And so again, that's the, that's the hard part of pairing is like, do you and I both want to pair for two hours starting at two or starting at nine? Yeah, uh, And like you, that might, our answers might be very, very different. So I guess my philosophy is be flexible and kind of try to try different things. Just like pairing is a skill that takes time to get good at, I think like part of the getting good at is uh, figuring out how to do it in a way that works well for you.
0: So, So if we think that, pair programmed code is better than non-pair programmed code and that Mm. often lets you write that better code in the same amount of time or less then what is the argument for for only pairing for two hours a day like what are you doing for the the other six hours just being less effective or you know like what are you thinking there
1: yeah um i mean it's a good question it so like there's if it's really good maybe you should be doing it more hours of the day but it's also going to be really draining mm-hmm. so if you can if you could sustain let's say four hours of pairing per day that might be like a great number to, to maintain but it's, it's funny like what are you do in the rest of the six hours like probably what you were doing anyway which is like not quite being productive yeah yeah <laughs> it's like i feel like honestly like i feel like in a, in a day two hours of solid productivity is like kind of okay and four is like oh man I that's like a I'm good day today. yeah it's a really good day so i don't know maybe an hour is the wrong answer maybe that's you know Maybe I'm trying too hard to make it unintimidating to people because I want people to try it. Um, But maybe as you get the hang of it, uh, you start stretching the, the session a little bit longer.
0: Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of our sponsors this week, and that is Netlify. So whenever I'm telling someone about Netlify, I describe it as basically static site hosting taken to the next level. Uh, Here's how it works. You just head over to Netlify.com and create your account for free. Then you click new site, connect your Git provider of choice, like GitHub, for example, and then you just choose the repository that you want to deploy. Tell Netlify what the build command is for that site, like npm run production, that sort of thing. Uh, Tell Netlify what folder you want to serve, so like the dist folder or the build folder, and then you're done. So Netlify will build and deploy your site to a permanent URL that it generates for you and it'll automatically rebuild and redeploy the site anytime you push changes to the repository. Of course, you can configure your own custom domain for the site as well and Netlify handles all that HTTPS for you automatically using Let's Encrypt. Uh, So what makes this better than something like GitHub Pages, for example? Well, on top of just making it super easy to build and deploy your static sites using basically any technology, any static site generator that you want, Netlify includes some pretty amazing features that can make your static sites a lot more powerful. Uh, so Netlify lets you deploy Lambda functions that you can use with your static sites without even having to have an AWS account. Uh, they have built-in authentication features you can take advantage of, and they also have awesome support for form handling. Netlify is totally free to get started with. There's no time limit, bandwidth restrictions, no limit on the number of sites you can have, and you get access to all of the features I talked about. Uh, so if you've got a project that you want to try out on Netlify, head over to netlify.com slash netlify.com full stack radio to get started and let them know who sent you. Or if you don't already have a project, but want to try out Netlify anyways, you can head over to templates.netlify.com and grab one of their awesome free starter templates to get you started. I've actually been using Netlify for a few months now on the Tailwind CSS documentation page, and one of the awesome things about it is that anytime someone submits a PR to the docs, Netlify automatically creates a site where I can preview that PR directly in the browser. So it's been a really good way for me to check out documentation PRs and make sure that everything looks good. Uh, Thanks to Netlify for sponsoring Full Stack Radio this week. Back to the show. So, um... What sort of tasks in your opinion are a good fit for pairing and what sort of coding work have you done in the past where maybe it just doesn't seem like there's any value in having someone else work on it with you?
1: You know, it's funny. I, I have people I've heard people push back on on they have uh, when I talk about pairing people often have their pet tasks that they prefer to do by themselves. And I understand their motivation, but I often also feel like, yeah, that also I think would work well in in a pairing session too. Mm. So for instance, people will often say, well, I don't want to pair on something that I don't know how to do it uh, because I need to do a lot of research and reading about it. And it's like, well... If you don't know how to do it, isn't it even more useful to have another mm. person there also researching and reading? And they're like, "Yeah, but like I'm just like we're just gonna read the docs together." And it's like, "Yeah, you're just gonna read the docs together because <laughs> it's easy to miss things." Yeah, like I've seen someone read a, a documentation page and just miss a line that was totally relevant to us or a parameter that gets passed in or whatever. Um, so, like for new stuff, I think even like exploratory programming is is maybe the most useful time. It's like when you're the least sure. It's like harder to block two people, uh, so you know, do it when you when you have a good chance of getting blocked. Um, so, like the other side of that would be like the opposite, where it's like, oh, I know what uh, what I want, and I'm just gonna like lay down this code real fast. Yeah. But I could. I'm still like, okay, fine. So maybe you don't. Maybe a pair is less useful when you're doing sort of a, a, something that's fairly rote that you've done a bunch of times. That's probably a, a reasonable thing to push back on. So like, look, I I know how to spin up a you know a new attribute on a model and a controller and in the view and all that. Um, but maybe that's a nice chance to have the pair help you with your workflow. Like, Hey, did you know you can like jump right to the view from here with this, key, this thing, or like just having another set of eyes, uh, or like, yeah, focusing on other things might be useful there too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think in the past for me, there's been certain situations where it didn't feel like there was a lot of, not that there wasn't value in the pairing, but like sometimes that the pairs time could have been better spent because like they didn't, mm. there was not really, anything for them to contribute on that made a big difference in the output and situations like that for me are like say i'm converting a design into just like a static html template and we're not even doing any problem solving it's really just like converting from one medium to another where i can just put my headphones on basically be thinking about something completely differently and just like mechanically doing something like that Mm -hmm. but i can't think of many other situations where there isn't where it doesn't seem like a better idea to be pairing on it if you have like the uh, sort of bandwidth for it in terms of the energy and stuff like that. You know what I mean?
1: Yep. Yeah, and I, I buy that. Um, although productivity is one measure of is, is pairing a good idea here. Knowledge sharing is another thing that's mm-hmm. worth thinking about, which is like, okay, now your pair has seen this code or this design or whatever. Uh, and so they have familiar familiarity with it that they didn't have before. Uh, but yeah, I mean like I don't I don't want to come off as like the pairing uh, evangelist or dogma person. I write lots of code not in a pair. Like totally. most of the time I do yeah, that. Yeah, to me, yeah. it's a tool that you reach for that's useful and good um, uh, in a number of situations. But I don't, I wouldn't want to work somewhere that had like a full-time pairing mandate or even like a, like you must pair X hours per week or any of that. I don't uh-huh. think that's the right way to approach this. I think it's a useful thing to have in your tool belt.
0: Yeah, I agree. So um, maybe a good topic to sort of close off on is i personally know a handful of people that most of their programming experience is like they're 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 self-taught they've either like worked freelance from home or they work on their own stuff uh, by themselves and they just like haven't ever really worked with other programmers on things Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. like they haven't worked on a team at a place where they did pairing or anything like that like i think more and more this is becoming more and more common. Like, There's just lots of self-taught programmers who can just work remotely from home and they don't necessarily get that experience. And I've talked to some of them about the idea of pairing and a lot of people don't get excited about it. They, they kind of feel like intimidated by it. It's like, I don't really know if I like the idea of like, Uh, having someone looking over my shoulder and and seeing behind the curtain and seeing like how not good I am at programming or something. I just want people to see the output. So uh, do you have any thoughts or advice for people who maybe are a little bit resistant to to trying pair programming?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm looking for a nice way to say like get over it because it's worth it. Yeah, (laughs) it's there's just Learning programming in isolation is so hard. Like it's easier than it's ever been, but it's just a hard skill. And there's so many little things that you can improve on and learn about it that will make your life better. Like just a a single shortcut. Like, did you know you can search this thing that you're like manually hunting through? Like there's often a really small tweak to your workflow can really improve your life and it, it permanently. Like once you've learned that thing, like now you just have that ability forever. And so it's like, wouldn't you want to front load those if you're going to be programming for the next, uh, you know, 50,000 hours or whatever? Wouldn't you want to learn a lot of really useful workflow tools and tips and approaches and debugging techniques and all this like early on or as soon as possible? Yeah. It seems like, of course you would. And so I totally get it. Like, I'm not trying to say that there's not a natural reaction to have a little bit of um, fear or embarrassment or even shame around those things, but it's worth gritting your teeth and just moving forward and, and and doing it anyway and anyone that gives you like that makes you feel bad for like things you don't know like things you're ignorant on like is is a jerk and like it sucks <laughs> that they were a jerk to you and it sucks that those people exist but it doesn't mean that like you should never pair program again or like pair programming is bad or um or the, or you're bad
0: yeah yeah for sure i think um for me you really have to like try and frame it in a, in a different light instead of feeling like when you're pairing like there, there's pressure on you to like perform or to like show that you're good or something like that i like to see it like in the complete opposite way it's like removing pressure from me i don't have to do this yep. entire thing by myself it's like you're driving somewhere that you've never uh, been before in some crazy busy city or something like say i was gonna like drive around in new york city for the first time and i would never done it before i would feel so much better having someone in the passenger seat next to me just to sort of take some of that like pressure off and help me kind of like navigate the situation then uh, mm-hmm. trying to deal with all that kind of stress and pressure myself. And I think of pair programming a lot more like that. It's a lot more like just Love having it. someone to lean on than it is. Yes. you know, having to perform for someone
1: right exactly. It's supposed to be better. It's yeah. supposed to be helpful. And so I had this interesting experience where I was giving a, a live coding talk where I was writing code on stage and I remember at first being like intimidated, intimidated where I was like, I ha- or or worried, I guess I was like, I have to practice the crap out of this because if something comes up that I wasn't expecting, it's going to be so horrible to like struggle in front of all these people. Hmm. And then, uh, at one point in the talk something did come up that i didn't expect and what i realized in that moment was i have like 400 people pairing with me right now yeah like all bugs are shallow when and you have like the one, entire audience probably
0: seven of those people for the last 30 seconds have been sitting there saying to themselves oh that mistake that i just saw him make that yep. he didn't notice he's yep. going to make is going to manifest itself right here it's not like people have to figure it out for you they already know
1: <laughs> oh totally yeah like it, it was fixed in an instant yeah people were like oh it was, the, it was that thing over there i was like oh yeah And it's just, it was like really that shift in mindset was really pleasant. It was like, oh, yeah, I basically can't get stuck now. Like there's too many people here to help me if I need it. Exactly.
0: Awesome, man. So maybe maybe now would be a good time to talk a little bit about uh, what you're working on since it is highly relevant to uh, the pair programming space.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, So a couple months ago, um, I quit my job and started a company with two friends of mine. uh, And we're called Tuple and tuple is an app for remote pair programming if you ever used screen hero it's a bit like that Uh, the idea is if you want to pair but you're not next to somebody like physically co-located like and don't get me wrong like pairing right next to someone is awesome like face-to-face interaction is ideal if you can make that work like do that plug in two plug in two keyboards sit at the same machine and like work on that that's awesome but if you can't do it because you're remote or whatever other reason uh i still think pairing is great especially as more and more developers move remote so uh tuple is a thing to let you do that like two people controlling one machine uh, with a voice channel and seeing the same stuff and being able to each have a mouse and keyboard
0: awesome man so what's the best way for uh for people to keep up with what you're working on there
1: uh so we are uh so we have a landing page up at tuple.app uh we are i we will very soon be sending our first update like hey, hey here's how it's going um, that's one good way if you're interested in tuple in particular, uh, more generally you can hear like whatever I'm working on at the time on my podcast, the art of product that I host with Derek Reimer, uh, or Twitter. I'm r 0 K. And, uh, those are probably the best, best bets.
0: Awesome, man. Well, it's been a pleasure uh, having you back on the show and chatting with you about this stuff again. Any, uh,
1: closing thoughts that you want to leave people with? I have a closing question. Sure. Ha- has anybody else been on this podcast three times? David Hanemeyer Hanson. Damn it beaten by dhh <laughs> um and derek
0: reimer too except that's kind of cheating he was only on twice and we turned one of them into two episodes um
1: uh, okay, there, right. there's, there's been a special. handful
0: of, of, of pretty repeat guests but i think three is three is probably the upper limit right now so you're probably tied for first place
1: okay i'll take that and it was some good company So yeah, it's hard definitely. to complain about that awesome yeah, I don't I don't know what I'll leave people with other than uh, or just I would say like, you know, if you're if you're interested, give it a shot. Push through some of that discomfort, try it. Uh if you hate it, that's fine, but give it give it an honest shot cuz it takes a little <laughs> while to get good at. And uh yeah, if you if I can be helpful, please reach out to me. Like I like helping people on the internet. So if you have questions about it or need support or whatever, just like at me. I respond to Twitter pretty fast, email pretty slow. And uh yeah, try that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, dude. Uh it's been awesome having you on again, Thanks a lot. It's fun to be here.
0: So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben Ornstein. If you're interested in checking out the show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 94. Thanks to Netlify and Cloudinary for sponsoring the podcast this week. If you want to head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, that's always appreciated. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.